the Links and Locks podcast. podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. Alongside Spencer Aguiar, I'm Roberto Arguello. Thanks for joining us today as we break down our Genesis Invitational Tournament Preview here in 2024. We are at Riviera Country Club, the Riviera Country Club, where tournament host Tiger Woods is not only hosting, but he's in the field making his 2024 debut. We'll break down how we feel about Tiger Woods a little bit later in the show. But first, you know how we do it. We're going to get straight to our best bet. Spencer, what's your best bet this week? I'm going to go with Russell Henley minus 120 over Denny McCarthy as my best bet this week. All right. So going with Denny McCarthy, I'm going to go with Taylor Moore for a top 20 at plus 240 at our sponsor, Bet365. That includes ties. But before we get into my top 20, tell me about your matchup bet, Spencer. So for me, and this is the same answer that I've given quite a few times when we've gotten these, you know, we were talking about this off air, even like, while it's technically not a no cut event, when you have 70 players in the top 50 and ties make the cut. And if you're within 10 shots of the lead, you also get into the weekend there. Like to me, this is essentially a no cut tournament. So I'm trying to shoot for upside in these spots more so than some of the safety marks. And when you look at a guy like Denny McCarthy, I'm also much lower than the public seems to be in the importance of around the green. It doesn't mean that around the green does not matter here. I just tend to think that it's a little bit easier than the public does to get up and down from a lot of these spots. I, I think there's a reason why golfers like Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, names like that have found success at this course. And I think it really just stems from the ability to where if you can hit a lot of greens in regulation and you just have some ability, like in Hovland's case, he can at least produce some strokes gained out of the bunkers. Like he, he's inside the top 25 of my model there. I think with the deep bunkering, that's a very important quality. But McCarthy had so many negative traits inside of my sheet when trying to shoot for upside. Inside the bottom five for me, an expected weighted tee to green production. He does get that upside that comes to fruition a little bit when you look at some of the scrambling and short game metrics. But for a bet that I assume is going to go for four days, uh, uh, assuming that one of these two guys isn't one of those you know, handful of 5, 10, 15 players that don't end up making it to the weekend. I just think Henley possesses a higher ceiling here. So I'm going to bet on that, but it's kind of a similar answer that I've given during most of these uh, tournaments that have a similar structure. These are not my favorite head-to-head betting cards at the end of the day, just because I I would rather this be a 156-man field than I could find one golfer that I'm trying to oppose for this best bet where... Well, I do want to take on McCarthy. This isn't necessarily the most ideal spot. And and the other problem that we run into, Roberto, also is I don't want to give stale numbers on this show. The bet that I originally wanted to give, and we can talk about this later, Adam Scott over Sung J.M., that moves 60 points, like practically <laughs> overnight before we could film this show. So, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it's just the second best play ends up being the best play when a number moves just so everything is... It is bettable for all the listeners out there, but uh, Russell Henley minus 120 over Denny McCarthy will be the play for me. All right, we'll come back to that play later because I actually made a bet on that one too. Uh, so I want to hear what number you got and why you bet it. But uh, we know Adam Scott's one of the big movers this week and for good reason, but we'll get into that in a little bit. My best bet, I'm going to go with Taylor Moore, top 20, plus 240, where ties are paid in full. If you want to be a little bit more daring, you don't want to get the ties paid in full, you can get a little bit better number as well. But Taylor Moore is somebody whom I'm pretty bullish on, and he tends to be a little bit streaky with his irons. He isn't an elite ball striker, but he is solid. He's above average on approach. He hits the ball really far off the tee, and this week, distance is a little bit more important than accuracy, but you got to absolutely place your pick your spots around Riviera. you got to know where you can, can't miss. But he's stronger a little bit more on those mid-irons than with the wedges, and this is one of those tournaments where that's going to be rewarded. And... He is an elite putter, and he's played here just two times, third year on the PGA Tour for Taylor Moore, and he's gained over seven-tenths of a stroke per round, so it's almost three strokes per tournament at Riviera that he's gained putting. And whereas this is one of the toughest set of greens to putt on on the PGA Tour, if he can have a big-time putting week 
which I'm not saying he's going to do it again this week, but I'm saying I like the chances of the upside for him. I think that combination with his strong driver, the good, the really uh, decent numbers on approach play from 150 to 200 yards, I think he's got some upside this week. So not only am I going to bet him for top 20 at plus 240, but I've got some other money on him in some other upside markets as well. He had a really strong week last week at the Phoenix Open where he gained over a stroke per round on approach, but he had one of his worst putting rounds in a while. Uh, this is going to be a very different putting surface with this being true POA instead of uh, an overseeded surface. So I think that he can bounce back. I'm not worried about him having a couple poor putting weeks in a row. I don't think that's very likely. And he's also pretty decent around the green too. I do think that around the green play is important. This is, I think, the only tournament on the PGA Tour where you have the Kikuyu rough, uh, where the fairways and the rough are both Kikuyu, which is great in the fairway. It's It props up the ball perfectly, but if you're in the rough, people have described it like Velcro, and so you're really going to need to ball strike your way around this week. And I think that Taylor Moore has a couple different avenues where he can do a Victor Hovland, Joaquin Neiman type approach where he hits these lasers out there and then is on the green and he doesn't have to deal with the Kikuyu rough, but he can also get up and down and knock in some putts from who knows where kind of like we saw Nick Taylor do last week uh, all over the place so I like that he has a couple different avenues to winning and or a couple different avenues to success and so that's why I'm on Taylor Moore this week Spencer let's get into our course preview unless you have some strong thoughts on Taylor Moore how are you modeling Riviera Country Club this week yeah, I mean, you kind of said it best at the beginning. I mean, this is a historic venue that, in my opinion, is going to finally separate players. We have seen the first six events of the year produce a 100-to-1-plus winner. I, I think you could make an argument that a name like Wyndham Clark was just a mispriced commodity, maybe more so than the rest of them. My model had him 50-to-1. It's an easy answer to give when that's the only one of the six that I actually ended up hitting. Uh, but with all of that being said... There's the ability here to where this is not one of those birdie fests to where players are going to be able to produce a score and go in that direction of a field that technically gets watered down in a lot of these weeks. Like 18 of the top 20 players in the world rankings that are still here on the PGA Tour are going to be at this event. So I do think the cream is going to rise to the top here. I think you get a venue that, while it plays slightly over 7,300 yards, it's a par 71. That yardage on the scorecard doesn't necessarily indicate how long it truly is because most of the distance is hidden with the par 5 first and the drivable par 4 tenth. Both of those play substantially shorter than your average return on tour. We do see that yardage get made up quickly, whether you look at you know holes 2, 12, uh, 15, and 18. Those are four holes that will present some of the more challenging par 4 locations on tour. When you dive into their 26% to 32% bogey or worse rates, I think part of that reason stems from that overabundance of shots that we see from 150 plus yards. Nearly 73% of all second shots will occur from that range. I would say the other part of that answer, which produces the difficulty, is that, and you just talked about this a second ago, players can struggle out of this Kakuya grass and this Kakuya rough. Um, I am curious to see if some of the rain in the location potentially softens the course marginally. I do think that helps ever so slightly to try to hold these greens. But, you know, still, at the end of the day, you get a speedier POA surface. This is true POA, as you talked about. So you're going to get that real bumpy, grainy sort of a look. Um, that's going to result in a lower GIR percentage. You normally get about an 8% lower rate here than a standard track. And then I think the last thing to note on top of everything else is just I tend to think, and, and I said this at the beginning, that strokes gain around the green won't be quite as challenging. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get those opportunities where you're going to have to produce because you are hitting, or an average player is at least hitting 8% fewer greens in regulation. But uh, to me, that like mix of undulation, can you putt from off the surface? The deep bunkering, can you save a score from out of a bunker? Those are the specific asks that I'm really trying to find. And when I waited in that fashion, it gave me a much different model. And maybe this is more of a DFS answer than anything else, but... Uh, it, it gave me a much different model than I think a lot of people got just because if everybody's talking about an overweighing strokes gain around the green, and while I have it in my model, I don't have it necessarily to the extent of most people. And I think the second factor to that is what you talked about of you have to pick your spots here. Distance mm -hmm. is more important than accuracy. I don't want to get those words mixed around, 
But I don't think this is one of those things where it's some bomb and gouge course where I'm trying to find the players who can hit the ball the furthest and advance it. Like, you're going to need to miss in the right spots. You're going to need to set up the locations. I ran it as a 60-40 split of distance over accuracy. I did merge in a little bit of how a player has gained in strokes gained off the tee at difficult scoring courses and, and courses that technically have difficult hit fairways. Um, but to me, that's more of like the ideal way to build this than saying, let's hit the ball as far as we can and then try to produce a score from there. I don't think that's the optimal route to find success here. I agree with everything you said. Uh, if I had anything to add to it, it's a George Thomas course. So we saw him last year at LACC. So one thing that he likes to do, start you off very nicely with an easy par five. And this might be the easiest par five on the entire PGA tour. It's like a driver pitching wedge for these guys sometimes or oftentimes Um, you can get even less. And the only thing that makes it tough is that there's a little cart path in the way where you hit it through the fairway. So it makes it a little bit awkward sometimes. Anyways, he starts you off with a tough par par five. And then he greets you right after that with the toughest hole in the course, the second hole par four. So you survived those first two holes. I think those first two holes are very key to start off. And if you want to, you can also kind of play it live where you know you're going to make a birdie. Your guy's going to make a birdie on that first hole. So maybe if you want to live bet the first round leader market, which I don't necessarily suggest because (laughs) it's dead heat rolls. Um, But you can kind of try to get cute a little bit with it. The 10th hole and the 15th hole have had their greens flattened a little bit so that there will be more hole locations also this year. Uh, The 10th hole, one of the iconic holes on the PGA Tour, the drivable par four, where Everybody goes for it except for Justin Thomas, which we'll discuss a little bit later. Um, so we'll see how that affects how players play it this week because they've known that for the most part, if you lay up, you're still going to have an almost impossible shot. So you might as well just get yourself into the crap immediately and then start dealing with it. So that'll be really fun to see. I'm pretty sure PJ True Live is going to have a featured hole there this week. And like you mentioned, you got to pick your spots. There's a lot of undulation on these greens. And so if you miss it on the wrong side of the green, you won't have as easy of a shot as other places and whereas some of the tougher green complexes we've seen so far on the pga tour have been where for example at the amex you've got a pete dye course where there's water on one side and then you got some other stuff on the other side or last week at phoenix where there is some water in play there's no water in play on this entire golf course which i think brings out some level of variance where there's a penalty that's stiffer than the actual miss on courses with water frequently. But this week, there isn't that. So I think it's a really cool, different test than the rest of the PGA Tour. And it's my personal favorite course that they play on the PGA Tour outside of maybe TPC Sawgrass because I played TPC Sawgrass a good number of times. But this is probably the best course design on the PGA Tour. So very excited to see it. And the cream should rise to the top, especially because there's no real choice because there are only 70 players in the field this week. 71, I think. But... Now that we discussed the course, Spencer, let's get into our outright betting cards. You got the tee. So we, we've talked about this a little bit, and we're, we've talked about how the cream is going to rise to the top. Like, we've gotten a lot of tournaments this year that have featured, I would say, either some combination of fewer star-powered options up top. That would be kind of at the WM Phoenix Open last week, where we discussed it on the show. If Scheffler, Homa... Um, you know, any of those names up, Justin Thomas, if any of those names didn't win, it kind of opened up the board for what was going to come down beneath. And and I know you ended up adding Nick Taylor at a certain point from an in-tournament uh, live bet that you made. But I think when you look at all of our cards from a pre-tournament perspective, we were all peppering that like 100 to 200 to 300 to one range over and over again. And, you know, unfortunately, we didn't land necessarily on the, the right winner pre-event with the information we'd given, but I think the general um, synopsis of what we were trying to find there was very correct in where if the top of the board falters, all of a sudden things open up. I don't think that's the case this weekend. And I've kind of said this a million times. I I would be shocked if we don't get one of these A-list names in the field to win. Um, To me, like really the furthest that I wanted to even consider down on the board was like the Siwoo Kim, Corey Connors, Bo Hostler sort of range in that 60 to 81 range. I don't really necessarily have a problem with any of those, but I'm going to say that this is finally where we stop this triple digit run that we've had of winners. Uh, I'm going to say it probably shoots near the very top, if not the very top with it. So um, Scheffler, obviously top win equity name on my board is T to green acumen is going to hold a massive advantage over the field for all the reasons that you can imagine. But uh, I decided to go a little bit further down this slate just because of how quickly that exposure adds up. 
And I started with mm -hmm. Victor Hovland at 15 to one. You can find if you shop around right now, there is a 19 to one in the space. Mm -hmm. So th there are some numbers that are very doable for Victor Hovland out there. I, I think the interesting note for him is just how his how public his struggles became at Pebble Beach. You look at the result that he posted and then the subsequent withdrawal from the WM Phoenix Open. I think if he had played TPC Scottsdale and let's just say he finished anywhere, I don't know, in the top 30, this price would have likely landed in more in that like 10 to 12 to 1 range. Instead, we got him to cite all the struggles with his game in the one event and then leave for additional coaching work. Like that kind of spurned on all this public lack of intrigue that we're seeing right now in the market for him just because of we don't know where his game is but you know he started this season with 18 consecutive rounds of shooting par or better I think that's a very interesting note for a golfer who has not been hot to begin the year but the results really have not been as poor as maybe they look on paper just a couple like even par rounds in rounds two and three at Pebble Beach didn't allow him to move up the leaderboard and he dropped down compared to what everybody else was doing but uh, number one in my model when looking at Riviera Country Club in projected success, he's inside the top uh, seven of my model in six of the eight categories I ran. That's going to include weighted proximity. He's a great player from out of the rough in general. Uh, total driving, weighted scoring, the historical strokes gain on fastball greens that he's put together. He's great on these long-term numbers of how do you gain strokes on challenging courses. Even like... Even with the struggles he's had, he's inside of the top seven in my model over the past 20 rounds, which is not necessarily including everything, but it is including about half of what he's produced this year, or at least a third of what he's produced this year in strokes gain T to green projection. So uh, when you have a guy like Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy that are one and two in projected win equity for me, but they're priced as such, like I'd rather just take the rebate with Hovland here at a price that I think he's gotten pushed up a little bit too far up the board at a venue that he's loved in the past. So I took him at 15 to one. And then I closed what ended up being a two man card with Patrick Cantlay at 22 to one. Um, I wrote about this Roberto at action network. Like there's been this heightened frustration in 2024 from the public. I think that's mostly stemming from this inflated pricing in the outright sector that we've gotten mixed with all of these poor results. I've always come on these shows and and I've been a very big Cantley supporter over like the last two years of doing content here. And I've always said the best time to bet him is when he stretches into that 20 to 22 plus range. Like that is more of where the value comes into play. We were never getting the proper price to bet him at these 12 to one numbers. And if he's going to be the one that drifts out a little bit further, I don't see a massive difference between him and Xander for him to be nearly double the price in a lot of these markets. I know the form, like if I'm actually comparing form here, I think his form is a little bit shakier than Hovland's. Uh, like his tee to green return over the last three events has just been bad across the board in all areas. Like at least with Hovland, I can just point to the irons being what's been wrong for him, where <clears throat> I think if you look long-term with the irons, there's really not that concerns. And this is a really nice course for him. Obviously that's why we're getting the price that we are with Cantlay currently, but uh, inside the top five of my model for projected scoring on similar courses, inside the top five in fast POA scoring, and he's a great par four scorer from 450 to 500 yards. I think that's a really key point this week to salvage scores. Uh, I talked about that at the beginning during the course breakdown. Those are the holes that are going to be the ones where they're producing those massive bogey or worse rates. So if Cantley can salvage a score there, produce birdies or better on the par fives, you're going to have to score there. We always know Cantley can score on the par fives. I think this is a really nice track for him once again in California, which is where he finds a lot of his success. So I think Cantley's price just got a little bit too inflated. I think those all make a ton of sense. The thing for me on Hovland, I texted you yesterday. I was like, among I haven't bet on Hovland yet. Among the guys who I haven't bet on, he's the one who scares me the most outside of, of course, Scotty Scheffler, because he has just such a high upside and he's going to hit the ball dead straight off the tee. He's going to hit the ball right at these pins. And the question for me is just how off was it and how much of a fix could he make the first time back in competition? Is there going to be some ramp up period? I don't know yet. I think I'm leaning toward betting it live. I have a really short card here too this week. I started off with Justin Thomas at 22 to one. I think this is a good week where if you're just bullish on golfers, 
bet them this week in some fashion, maybe not necessarily to win if they don't have that type of upside. But JT somebody who I think is going to win sooner than later. I don't want to miss out on it like I missed out on Nick Taylor last week after I bet him the week before. I'm on JT. If you look at, uh, you mentioned our early outrights article, I brought up some of his approach stats and maybe how some people might have forgotten how elite this guy was on approach play. Last year, he was 39th in strokes gain approach, which isn't terrible. I mean, it's very above average on the PGA Tour, but you consider that last year, 38 players beat him on approach. The previous six seasons, going back through 2017, only 18 players beat him on approach combined because he was no worse than eighth in any year. So really, really strong history of approach play for Justin Thomas. I think he is getting back into that form and that hasn't necessarily been completely priced back in because if Justin Thomas and Patrick Cantley, for example, are firing on all cylinders, I'm going to take Justin Thomas all day long. I think that JT specifically in 150 to 200 yards, which is key range this week, last year he was outside, outside the top 85 in each of those buckets. But in the previous years, in the previous four years, he was inside the top 13 from 150 to 175 all four years. And from 175 to 200, he was inside the top 27, three out of four years and inside the top 45 all four years. So this is where he makes a difference with his iron play. We mentioned the Kikuya rough. JT knows this course. He probably played it with Tiger a million times. And they know how to, he knows how to attack this course. He's somebody who can move the ball from left to right and right to left, with, I think, which I think is very key this week unless you can absolutely stripe it perfectly in the middle of the fairways, a la, a la Victor Hovland and Colin Morikawa, guys who just find the fairway and hit lasers like pretty much nobody else can outside of Scotty Scheffler in from there. So I started my car with JT. Also mentioned in the article that his putting has been much better than it was a lot of last year. So this year he... Um, so in his last six events, he's gained strokes putting five times, whereas in the previous 18 starts on tour, he gained strokes putting just four times. So significant improvement in putting. The iron play also has improved at the same time. I think there's significant upside there. He might be the second or third best player in this field, period. And so outside of Scotty, of course. So I like JT right now to strike, especially while some of the other guys at the top of the board have not played their best in recent weeks. So I like that. I'm going to keep an eye on Hovland in tournament to see how those strokes gained approach numbers are looking the first few holes. Um, it's it's a weird start here with one, two, and then the fourth hole, the Rodan, where everybody misses the green. So you really need to ball strike uh, your way around this golf course. So we're going to figure out really quickly how Victor Hovland's doing. I also, I hate to give out sale number, but I bet Adam Scott 40 to 1. If you find him at 35 to 1 or better, I would recommend betting him this week. He has as great of course history this week as anybody else at Riviera. Already has two wins, and he is in incredible form. In the last six starts, he's finished in the top 20 worldwide, all six. Five of those six have been top eight finishes, including last week at the WM Phoenix Open. We don't have data for the three longest ones away. Uh, only the three most recent ones we have data because... The other ones were on the DP World Tour in Australia. And in those recent starts, he's gained on approach significantly, uh, including over a stroke and a half last week. So I'm really bullish on Adam Scott. Everybody else in the world is too, which is why his numbers moved down to 28 to 1 in some places. So I saw it bounce back up to 32, 35 earlier today. So definitely be sure to shop around if you want to bet on Adam Scott. But the putter has upside. He's got upside with the irons. The short game is the real question for him, but he's still above average there. And he should know this golf course as well as anybody else. Been around the PGA Tour for forever. I like. I think that experience matters on this golf course a lot more than other ones on the PGA Tour. And so I really like Scott because of that. And then my third and final golfer on my outright card this week is Kurt Kitayama. Gave him out for last week in the outright market and for best bet top 10. He did catch the top 10 at six and a half to one. But Spencer, I feel like both, or I feel like all three of us, Nick, you, and I all had a bunch of guys who were medium range to long shots whom we bet who all played well. Yeah. They just didn't win. They all finished between fifth and 25th. And I think this week is a good week to kind of attack those type of players for top 10, top 20 markets. 
where there won't be some outsized penalty if you hit it in the water on the 71st hole uh, like you could do at TPC Scottsdale. So I'm going to be playing some more Kurt Kitayama. I haven't quite figured that out if I want to do top 10 or top 20. I need to shop around. But I really like Kurt Kitayama. He last week actually had a little bit of a down week with the irons, and he putted well, surprisingly, because uh, he hasn't been putting well very recently at all. But he is really strong around the green and really strong on approach, which I think are two of the most important factors this week. And he is super long off the tee. If he can avoid mistakes off the tee, I think he's going to be situated to finish really highly this week and hasn't missed a cut going back to the Travelers in June. So he's been playing pretty solid golf. I think this guy's got some upside, and so I might play a little ladder play on him for to win and top 20 and top 10, maybe even a top 5. But I'm really bullish on Kurt Kitayama this week. Those are my three guys on the card. I... If I knew Halvin was in good form, I'd have a ticket on him already. If I can find that 19 to 1 that you mentioned, I might also just. I, I think the juice is worth the squeeze at 19 to 1 for sure. Uh, at 15 to 1, I'm still a little bit on the fence. But 19, I think I'm there. Uh, this course is made for guys like that. Joaquin Neiman, also similar type of game uh, to Victor Hovland, winner here a couple years ago. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I wanted to get back to the Adam Scott play that you mentioned against Sung JM because I got it at minus 130. I knew that Adam Scott, with the great course history, with the form, is going to be one of the most public golfers this week. Um, so I knew that one was going to run away, and Sung JM just hasn't been playing great recently. So I got him at minus 130. What did you get him at, and what why did you want to fade Sung Jae? I also got it at minus 130. And, and you know, it, it's interesting with the Adam Scott thing because there's always a player every single week that catches – all the steam in the market and, and enters a zone to where, I mean, Adam Scott is at this week. He opens at 40. He drops into as low as 28 to one. All his head to head matchups look super sharp. Like he, he's a pretty substantial favorite over a lot of names out there um, that you wouldn't even necessarily anticipate him being the favorite over. I've seen a head to head matchup and I mean, I, maybe it's because this guy changes his name so frequently that we like books don't even know what he is at, or who he is at this point. But like Adam Scott was a favorite over Oberg. I, I mean, I, I think we're saying that correctly now. I don't, I don't, we've, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would still like to say Ober, but uh, I also wanted to say Aberg originally. We'll settle on Oberg. I'm not changing that name again. That's going to be the last we time we have inside information thanks to Action Network golf staff writer. Jason Sobel, who had Oberg on his radio show yesterday, and he can confirm that it is, in fact, Oberg. So this is this drama is over. Oh, it's over for the time being until Oberg decides that he wants to be called Aberg again or whatever. We'll like go full circle on this and just start where we were. But I think that's a really noticeable thing that Scott would be the favorite over him in a head-to-head -head market. It shows with the, the course history that he has here. I think the metrics look great. I love the idea of betting Adam Scott in a head-to-head -head market. And that's kind of one of the first things. Like, I always talk about trying to find opponents to fade. Um, I think for a no-cut tournament, though, you have to be willing to shoot for that upside and back golfers that you actually want to back here uh, just because you run into some really weird scenarios where there's potentially four days. Like, I'm going to say, I mean, unless Oberg implodes on himself, he's probably going to be there for all four days. So... Um, I'm trying to shoot for as much upside as possible. And, and Scott had a lot of those metrics of what I was trying to find. And um, when you look at him specifically, specifically against Sungjae, Sungjae was the most mispriced golfer in my model this week. And this is coming from somebody who loves Sungjae every single week and tries to find a reason to back him. This was like the first tournament in quite some time uh, that just, he was negative across the board. The course history here has never really delivered how you would want it to on paper. The current form is kind of tumultuous right now, like three finishes. That's nothing's better than a 66th. And uh, I mean, Pebble Beach is a limited field contest there to where he comes 66. He comes 66 at the WM Phoenix Open. I just don't think he's firing on all cylinders right now against a golfer that, I mean, the market is telling you what it thinks of Adam Scott and outright bets and head-to-head -head wagers. Th that meant something to me to where I thought 130 was still a good price. It's it's not bettable anymore into this like minus 170, minus 180 range. But, um, you know, unfortunately, that's what happens 
numbers move and I, I don't think either one of us are ever going to come on here and give out a stale number that's not bettable anymore. Yeah, absolutely not. And the Sung JM numbers are really surprising. And not only does he have those three consecutive poor finishes, but he's lost strokes significantly on approach in his last four tournaments. So hopefully Sung Jay figures it out. But once again, we're just a month removed from him finishing T5 at the century where he gained pretty much across the board except for around the green. So um, it's tough in these signature events because if you're fading somebody, it's one of these really good players very much more likely than not. So Sanjay still has some upside, but you look at he's more accurate off the tee than he is long. He's not playing, not in very good form. The putter's been up and down and he's lost strokes around the green, around the green in three out of four prior performances at Riviera. So not a ton, not the perfect course fit, at least on paper so far for Sanjay, but his talent is so good that he could overcome it. Yeah, I mean, and that's why at a certain point, too, the value is just gone in the number. Like, I'm not a big fan of in a tournament where, I mean, I guess there's two ways to look at it. One, if you're likely getting four days, does that edge show over four days at some point rather than like a poor Adam Scott round that could have derailed things? I, I tend to think that the miscut is something that I would rather have into the mix. Historically, that has shown better for me if I can take on that downside early. Uh, but like, if you look at Sungjae specifically, and you talked about the approach play, my model has him 28th in projected uh, proximity on any course on tour. It has him 56 out of 70 players here for projected proximity at Riviera Country Club. That is a massive downturn for a golfer that already is not showing the quality of form that you would want to see with the iron play. That's like bad on top of bad against the golfer in Scott who... I loved how, I mean, I know a lot of that was smoke and mirrors to where like it wasn't a true top 10 finish because he really made the run at the end on, on Sunday there. But I mean, that's good enough for me to realize like this is a golfer who's in form, who's heading to a course that he loves against a golfer that has re not one finish at Riviera that I can point towards. And a lot of those finishes have entered where he has had massively good form in a lot of these lead up events where he doesn't have mm -hmm. it this year. So uh, this has always been the little hiccup spot right before he enters like the Florida swing again, like historically. So I think it's a nice spot to where you said when you take these star versus star battles, it's really difficult to find too many of these stars that you want to take on. This was one of those star names that I thought there was a legitimate reason to why he's the most mispriced player on the board. I thought that Oberg versus Scott matchup was really interesting also. Um, just by the way, Oberg, somebody whom I we'll definitely keep an eye on in live market just because his talent is so otherworldly and nearly one at the farmers nearly one at pebble beach who knows maybe if they play 72 holes instead of 54 he wins there and his price is a little different than what it is right now he's just got such undeniable talent he can beat you in a, a myriad of ways as well i'm very intrigued to see how oberg does this week just about as much as anybody outside of victor hovland and the cat of course uh, before we get into Tiger Woods, a reminder that the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365. Bet365 doesn't do ordinary. That's why you get more boosts with them than anyone else. Every day, they power up the odds on hundreds of bets to give you a chance to win more. Bet365 boosts specific markets, your winnings, and even parlays. And they don't stop there. Keep an eye out for the biggest and best odds with the incredible Super Boost. Check out the boost and see why it's never ordinary at Bet365. Must be 21 or older and present in Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, New Jersey, Ohio, Virginia, or 18 and older in Kentucky. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. All right, Spencer. Arguably the greatest golfer of all time, Tiger Woods, announced his new line of apparel yesterday, the Sunday Red. He will be competing in it for the first time this week at Riviera Country Club, one of the rare spots where he didn't win, or he hasn't won a tournament yet on the PGA Tour, and neither did Jack Nicklaus, by the way. So, fun little nugget there. How are you approaching Tiger Woods this week? Are there any bets that you've made on him, or any that have caught your eye, or any that you might be looking for that you haven't quite seen yet? So I think here's the problem with Tiger Woods bets, and this doesn't come as a shock because he is such a public favorite, and we see it every single year that he enters contests. If you look at books out there, 
like let, let's start with bet 365 and, and we'll just move down to other bets that are out there in the market but if you look at bet 365 44th or worse is a massively juice side for him in a 70 man field so that's going to show you where bet 365 believes tiger is going to finish i mean it's outside of the top 45 based off of that there my model would tend to agree with that answer I think the problem is, though, with a lot of these shops out there, and when you start looking around for numbers, a lot of these markets are one-way streets. What I mean by that is you get props like, how many birdies will Tiger make? What is the top finish that Tiger is going to do? Will, will he enter the top five? But it's a one-way market. You can only bet he will have over X amount of birdies. He will finish better than this result. This is just trying to bait in every single public better. And I and I hope I'm wrong here. I hope Tiger comes top 10. It's better for golf when he produces than when he's not in the field. The eyeballs that come to the sport is what we need right now with all this turmoil that we have going on between the PGA Tour and Liv. I hope Tiger wins this contest. But at the end of the day, there is no value to be had in betting Tiger Woods in a one-way market where you can only bet the yes or the positive results and you can't take on any of the negative traits. And I think that's the most indicative answer that I can give to everybody out there listening is that if a market or books are only going to offer you a one-way street here, it's because they think he's not going to do whatever the thing is that they're telling you that you can bet him to do. So I'm going to be out. I I hope I'm wrong. I hope he produces. It's just, even in his... At his best, this was he's never won this tournament. This is not necessarily a course that has been perfect for him. And if we've seen in, in recent iterations of where he's played this contest, it's really not that much to hold on to that you would love to see uh, return-wise. Like a, a lot of random either miscuts or finishes outside the top 30. Like there's just not, not a ton there recently. And um, it's always difficult to know exactly where his game is, which I guess that's a positive thing for Tiger in some sense here because – he always could just be vintage Tiger that turns back the clock. Um, in I mean, I don't want to get too much into the apparel side of things here, but I'm going to miss the Nike ensemble that he used to wear. Like, I don't know what this new outfit is he has. That's my personal take there. That is not anybody from Action. Maybe everybody else out there likes it, but I don't know what that logo is at the end of the day. It just it didn't catch my eye, that's for sure. I got to see him wear it for four days on the course before I make any judgments, so... We can touch base on that later next week. Who knows? Maybe we'll get him and Jason Day in the same group. We could see all their fits together. <laughs> it's probably pretty likely. I mean, I, I could very well see this being a, a Jason Day, Justin Thomas, Tiger Woods pairing. We should get those tea times later today. And of course, he's the tournament host. So he gets a little home cooking in those pairings. Spencer, you got anything else on your card this week? Or are you ready to hop into our rapid fire shortly? No, I, I'm good for rapid fire. It's a very minimal card this week. We we lose all the value in the placement market, at least according to my numbers. Uh, these smaller fields reduce a lot of what I'm trying to do. I didn't think that the top 10 numbers were necessarily that great. It was, it, it, it was an interesting outright board just because there wasn't as big of a upfront hold percentage as we have been getting some of these other weeks. It's probably because books are cleaning up with all these long shots that are coming in that you can reduce things like six, 7%. And, you know, you still have a massive hold percentage that's being taken up front there and and they're fine doing that. And I think that kind of just speaks to how much quality that even books think that there is at the top of boards this week, that it's like, you know, pick which one you like of the group. There's 20 guys up there that are all like in that, like 50 to one or less range that all have upside. And, figure out which one you think is the one that's going to win. And we'll let you guys take them at a price that some are fairer than others. But I mean, that's kind of, it seems like what books have done this week. Did you have any golfers who just missed your outright card that you seriously considered or might add later? I I always think Scotty Scheffler is a value when he's at these seven, seven and a half to one numbers. I just can't get there from an exposure standpoint. It, it it's more that I'm going to have at risk just to get him onto my card as a single name. So I don't really feel like betting one unit to win 7.5. I'd rather have like 0.7 units on Hovland and Cantland, bet them to win a little bit over seven. I just think that's like a better long-term EV strategy. So I don't have to get as much exposure there. The one name for me, and this is the shocker here, it came down to either Cantley or Morikawa. And I would be very curious to hear your thoughts here on this because I know you bet Justin Thomas. If you look mm-hmm. at Thomas 
Uh, you look at Morikawa, like, and you look at, I mean, I maybe you're not on Cantley, I guess, but like, is there a price where Morikawa would have been more intriguing for you than Justin Thomas? Is it just because his number opened up a little bit bigger earlier? 25 to one is always the number for me on Morikawa where it's like, I have to bet him there because especially on these golf courses with separate elite approach play. So I still have room on the card. I might add him if he gets to 25 to one in the 22 range. I think it's pretty fair. I do too. The putter always kind of makes me a little bit wary with Morikawa. And I just think that a lot of what he does well, Thomas also does well. And which is why I like both of them. They're both elite approach players. Scotty Scheffler being in the field is a factor for me, of course. And I think you have to reach that higher level. And I'm not sure that Colin can quite get there just because he's not as long off the tee and he has the serious short game issues. So, but with that being said, last time out, he gained almost a half stroke putting at Pebble Beach. Of course, only two rounds of track data there with the three rounds of the tournament and had his best around the green performance in over a year. Didn't play that well on approach, but those were weird circumstances with the weather and the soft conditions, which I don't think helped him. If we get firmer and faster conditions, I think that also will help the cream rise to the top, which we haven't had the last few weeks with Pebble Beach and Phoenix last week. I'm very intrigued by Morikawa. He's got great course history here, where last two times, top six finishes, gain strokes across the board. I think he and Hovland are always very similar types of players, but I just think that Hovland has a little bit more firepower, which is why I, I would that. go with Hovland. Yeah, so that's why I would prefer to have Hovland in my back pocket than Morikawa, but there's a price for everything. So if we get to 25 to one for, if I get 25 to one for Morikawa or 19 to one for Hovland, I'd probably lean toward the 19 to one for Hovland, but I think you're really splitting hairs there. And, um, and if I didn't have JT, I'd consider getting both of those guys. Yeah. I've had a bad habit this season of the first guy that's missed my card has either gone on, maybe not to necessarily win a lot of these events. So it hasn't burnt me too much here, but they have been like the second place finishers most of this week. Like if you look at like Hoygaard and Finau a handful of weeks ago, those were the first two names to miss my card. Uh, very much looked like one of those names was going to win uh, on Sunday and it just didn't end up coming to fruition there. Like Morikawa was the closest one for me and I never really see this upside in my model. Um, I, I always say that Morikawa, like I think I agree 25 to one was the price I wanted, which is why I ultimately didn't land on it. But I am a little bit worried that, like, I, I love the Hovland route that I've gone. I'm a little bit worried that the Cantley route ate up all the exposure to where I couldn't get to Morikawa. And the more that I'm keeping, I keep running numbers, the more I like Morikawa in a lot of these spots. I just want to throw one little tidbit out there for everybody listening. You can do with this what you want. You can do with the information that uh, historically this season, the one that hasn't made the card has been the one that's been the one who's kind of performed very admirably in spots. But Colin Morikawa. In projected strokes gain T2 green for Riviera Country Club, when I ran the data over the last 24 rounds, that's going to take a couple events from this year and a couple events from last year. So it's going to stretch a little bit further, but it's not going to run as far as I normally run the data. Number one in my sheet in expected strokes gain T2 green there. That's including the short game problems that we're talking about. I do think that he is a decent enough player from out of the bunkers. Uh, not the best, not the worst, but I think that's one of the reasons why he has found success here and his ability to hit greens and regulation, his ability to dominate with his irons and truly his ability to find fairways to where, yes, like we would rather have players that have distance, which hurts them a little bit against a name like Scotty Scheffler or some of these high end marks when we actually have to talk about win equity here. I am very concerned that Colin Morikawa wins and I'm sitting here and I'm like, I I've done it again. I have left the name who has won this contest or nearly won this contest sitting on the sidelines. Also, quick aside, you mentioned Victor Hovland a few times in the pod. Victor Hovland has done something really interesting over the last couple of years where I believe it's the 15th hole. It's a par four where it has one of the most penal bunkers on the right side of the fairway in the entire PJ Tour. And instead of taking that on as a guy who fades the ball, so it's probably going to be a little bit right if it fades too much unless he pulls it. Anyways, he has gone down another fairway adjacent to that hole and taken all bunkers out of play, and he still has an angle into the green. Last year, 
they tried to deter him from doing that by putting a scoreboard there, but the scoreboard wasn't high enough. I've never talked about scoreboards before a tournament before. <laughs> I want to see how big that scoreboard is this week. Are they building it up there? Do they put a tree there? What are they going to do? Are they going to keep them playing that way? That's an issue for pace of play because you got a whole other fairway and other groups in the way. Uh, I'm going to be very interested in that. doesn't really have anything to do with my handicaps on Major Hovland or anything else. Just a couple guys who missed my card. Taylor Moore, 175. Thought about it, but given that I didn't bet Nick Taylor last week, I got some FOMO, so who knows? I could get, go crazy and add that later. Had a couple of guys at 60-1 to 1 that I also was considering. Siwoo Kim, Keegan Bradley, Nikolai Hoygaard are all 60-1. to 1. Ultimately, I didn't bet any of them because Bradley... Ultimately, I didn't bet any of them because Hoygaard doesn't have the course history any at all. So I'm going to sit this one out on him, but who knows? Maybe if he contends, get a live number on him, or if I find him at a right the right spot in the round. Siwoo Kim, I can only stand watching him miss so many putts. He <laughs> switched back to the short putter, which I, I have no idea what kind of putter he's going to use this week. Uh, maybe he'll be left-handed. and. Keegan Bradley is somebody who intrigues me because he's ha- he's played here a million times. He's just putted really poorly since basically 2017 here. I like his approach play. I think it plays here. If the putter can get hot, I think it could work. I had him at Sony, and I just don't know that he has the firepower this week. But Keegan Bradley is about as far down as I wanted to go outside of Kirk Kitayama, who I think does have that firepower, so I chose him instead. But Keegan's somebody whom I might play in some of the... Who I wanted to play in the placement markets, but just because there aren't that many players, I don't love the numbers. For example, last week we had Kiriyama 6.5 to 1 for a top 10. This week he's 5.5 to 1 in a much stronger field. So I don't feel like that's the best play in in such a stacked field, especially when last week we mentioned that the top 2-3 guys were there, but... There were going to be seven other spots in that top 10 that were going to be wide open for the taking this week. I think it's going to be a lot more competitive, especially with no cut. So I'm laying off on Kurt Kiriyama and those other top 10 plays for now, but maybe we'll get some kind of boost in the market later this week. All right, Spencer, we've got some time to go through the rest of the guys 50 to 1 or shorter here in our rapid fire segment. I'll give you an option on betting certain guys at different numbers, and you tell me who you'd rather have a ticket on. We discussed Scotty Scheffler already, so we're going to skip past him. Rory McIlroy's 11 to 1. Would you rather have a ticket on him at 11 to 1? Xander Shoffley at 17 to 1? Or another Southern Californian in Max Homa, who's already won this tournament, at 19 to 1? I kind of like the upside numbers for, for Rory here. Um, didn't want to get there with a ticket necessarily at the price that we're paying, but I think of those three options, I worry a little bit that Homa's course history and the California narrative has just baked in so much into his total. I am not going, it's the same answer I've given for Cantley of why I can't bet Xander at those prices at this point. It's just too low. Like put him at 25 to one plus, we can have this conversation again, but like no matter how great the numbers look, the win equity just never quite shows up the way you want it to. Rory looked great in his last start until he didn't look great. And all of a sudden imploded himself off the leaderboard, took penalties, finishes near the bottom of the pack. It was such a weird finish that round that just continued for every single day throughout the rest of the tournament until it ended there. So um, he started this year very strong over on the DP world tour. I think Rory has legitimate upside here. Now, if I'm going to move to the top, I think I'd rather just move to the very top and go to Scotty. And that would be more of the route. But uh, Rory was second in my model for projected win equity, very slightly above what I had for Victor Hovland. So that's one of the reasons why I went with Hovland, just because there was better value in that price. But uh, I mean, that's Scheffler, Rory, Hovland would be the top three. And then, I mean, really, if you're looking for where the rest of that win equity comes from me, like Xander is technically the next name, but it's a very close margin between Xander and Cantlay and Hovland and Morikawa. Like all those players are kind of all in the same range. So I decided to take the ones that were deeper. And that was kind of the mindset behind that. I agree with everything you just said. I think that I, I can't remember around like Rory's first couple rounds at Pebble Beach where he was six under par, gets the two stroke penalty. He was the, the favorite to be the first round leader to win the tournament, everything. And he finishes 66th out of what, like 80 players that week. Yeah. yeah. Shocking. Um, I think you're getting a little bit of a discount because of that. So if you want to just play Rory, if you're a big Rory fan and you just want to bet him and nobody else in the outright market this week, I don't think it's a terrible strategy. Not doesn't fit my risk profile personally, but I think you could do worse this week. 
Yeah, welcome uh, to my we'll... life at Augusta National every single year betting, Rory. <laughs> Maybe this is the year. All right, moving along. We mentioned Cantley, we mentioned JT, we mentioned Morikawa. So moving to Ludwig Oberg at 22 to 1, Sam Burns at 27, your boy Tony Finau at 30, and we'll throw in Jordan Spieth at 30 as well. Among those four players at those ticket prices, which one would you most rather have among Oberg, Burns, Finau, and Spieth? So I, I don't think he necessarily wins. I go on every single show and give him, but I continue to be very intrigued by Tony Finau. I, it's kind of the answer you gave for Siwoo that you can't watch him miss another putt. And the, like the one thing with Siwoo is at least you're getting it at prices that are more in like the 60 to 70 to one range. It's a little bit more like you can stomach that better than betting Tony Finau at 30 to one and watching every single putt miss in each direction. And uh, I mean, he's dead last in my model over the last 24 rounds in strokes gained putting in this field. That is not what you want to see. But as I've always said, maybe he's a better top 10 or 20 bet for that reason. Um, players that are striking the ball well, they are the ones that end up spiking with the putter randomly and winning the golf tournament. I don't think we necessarily have the price in the outright market to take that chance just because the putter has been so cold. But he was one of those names in a placement market I did consider. I didn't necessarily see a price that I loved on him, but... Um, I would probably shoot it into a top 10 range just because of, of the erratic nature with his putter that he's had. I'd rather shoot for like maximum upside there than getting stuck and watching him come 22nd and, you know, paying a low minus whatever it ends up being versus like, I'll take a plus number more in that like two and a half to three to one range to get a top 10. Completely co-sign all of that on Finau. The ball striking numbers are awesome. The putting is not. Um, very interested to see how he does next week at the Mexico Open at Vidanta, where he is defending. And, of course, last year was a two-horse race between him and Rom. Going to be really interesting to see who's in that field next week because they're going to have to have somebody replace John Rom in that field among the top dogs. Is it going to be Rory, who didn't play last week? Is it going to be one of those other guys who didn't play last week? Because I think it's a big ask for Scotty Scheffler, for example, to play four straight weeks uh, next week because I... this is the third week. I also think it's going to be a pretty good tournament from top to bottom, just with the way that this new schedule works. Like if you're not auto qualified for some of these events, I think you're going to see, and we'll see what happens. I would assume Hoygaard will probably be there. I would assume Min Woo Lee should probably mm -hmm. be there. Like you're going to get some of these names that are in scramble mode right now to try to make sure that they lock up some of these events moving forward. And uh, it's very important for them to get points. So uh, that's at least something to note too. Like the field could be decent. That's a huge bombers course. So if you see somebody like an Oberg or a Hoygaard this week who catches your eye, their number, whatever they open at next week, is probably not going to be there for very long. No. So just keep that in mind. That could be the Adam Scott of this week. I would agree with that. Uh, moving along, we've got Tommy Fleetwood at 35-1, to 1, Sahit Tigala, who contended again this week at the WM Phoenix Open at 35-1, to 1, Cam Young, who I had on my card at 45-1 to 1 last week. He also, I forgot to mention, just missed my card, but I'm very intrigued by him. Might actually add him. I'm closer than anybody else. And Fitzpatrick, also 45 to 1. So Fleetwood, 35. Tigala, 35. Young, 45. And Fitz, 45. If you had a, a free ticket on one of those four, Spencer, who would you pick? I think the Young number is fine. I, I saw enough from him last week to at least be intrigued. I, I We always talk about Fleetwood's lack of win equity in some of these events. I, I mean, Cameron Young is starting to exhibit that even in a worse way in some of these positions. Like, I mean, anytime he sniffs the top of the leaderboard, things are going south for him. Like, at least with Fleetwood, he's had enough success in Europe to where he's closing out those events. Maybe the problems come in on the PGA Tour, but I, I like the numbers for Fleetwood this week. Maybe not at the price at 35 to 1, but uh, inside the top 15 of my model in all iterations of how I ran it, I, I think there's a lot to like about his short game. I know I've I've reduced the impact of my inside of my model for the short game returns there, but even still, he graded very well. Um, I think there's a lot to like about him here. I, I, I don't know if I necessarily believe he wins this tournament, but he's one of those names in that like 30 to 40 to 1 range. Uh, very similar to an Adam Scott in my mind to where th there's legitimate reason why they're priced the way they are. I think these guys all have, these guys are all really intriguing. I'd probably rather bet these guys in the 30 to 40 to 1 range than the guys past Morikawa between 23 to 1 and 30 to 1. I would agree Just there. Yeah. They have more complete games and they have more paths to winning, um, especially 
Degala, Fleetwood, and Cameron Young. Cameron Young, by the way, really strong putting week last week, and we know he bombs the ball. Also, T2 at this event a couple of years ago when Neiman won, or he tied with Morikawa. So in that week where he finished T2, he gained over four strokes per round to the field. So that normally wins you a golf tournament on the PGA Tour, but wrong week for him that time. So he's not somebody who I'm out on in winning. I just think that he's got upside, and it all just depends on the number for him because it's tough for him to put it together, but I, he's going to do it at some point, and he's going to do it at a big boy golf course too. So I'm very intrigued by Cam Young. I might add him to the card. Maybe we'll see if there's a wave advantage or something, or maybe you get cute try to play before he makes a turn to number one. Yeah. Um, moving along to 50 to 1, and we'll get you out of here because Jason Day's in this group. Tom Kim, 50 to 1. Wyndham Clark, 50 to 1. Jason Day, 55 to 1. Will Zalatoris, 55 to 1. We got a big unknown in Will Z. We got a youngster in Tom Kim. We got your former favorite player in the world, Jason Day. And we've got your new favorite player in the world, Wyndham Clark, 50 to 1. Who are you taking a ticket on? Um, favorites aside, I, I can't. I can't give Jason Day on a show anymore. Like, like I said this last week, breakups are difficult. I, I can't <laughs> keep going down this route where I allow him back into my life. So it, it can't be a Jason Day answer here. I also don't feel like I can give a Wyndham Clark answer just because there's been such a pristine record that I've had with him. Like when, when I've chosen him in spots, <laughs> he has won. If my model isn't necessarily predicting that I'm going to go a different route there. I think it's a fine course fit for him. Like he's inside the top 15 of my model. Don't, necessarily have any massive concerns i guess my bigger worry would just come down to like what his win equity actually is in this field at the price that you're paying if i was to just randomly shoot for the moon here it would probably be on tom kim uh we saw a little bit of something at the end of last week's tournament at the wm phoenix open where i thought he made a nice run on the week and he almost missed that cut and he got himself through showed a little bit of signs of life again that we hadn't seen for a handful of events. Um, I always think that just with his age and the upside that he has shown in the past, he's an intriguing target to consider. I, I don't, I couldn't find a way to get him onto my outright card, but he did have positive trajectory for upside that negative floor that you're looking for in like the, on the reverse end, like where he's a better upside bet than he would be a safety play. But I think that works fine in in certain markets, whether like that be for a top 10 or for an outright win. Like that's more of like the doable route that I would like to take with Tom Kim. I think these guys all have flaws. Kim, I'd like to be a little bit longer, but I think he I would too. has upside that you mentioned that I really like. Wyndham Clark, I want him to be able to move the ball both ways, but um, he, I think at 50 to 1, it's still a little bit disrespectful. I think he should be more closer to 40 to 1. Jay Day has really struggled here. The approach play is not what I'd like to see. And Will Zalatoris, the club head speed, the ball speed, isn't where it was two years ago. Until we get back there, he's not that golfer for me. So he doesn't have the short game like a Tom Kim that can overcome it. So yeah. with that, Spencer, I know you got to get out of here. Where can the people find your work this week? So you can find me on Twitter at Sports. I will have my Wednesday outright article that I'm going to do here at Action Network. We'll talk about where the sharp money has moved in. We'll continue that conversation that we had here. We'll get a little bit more in depth of why I've backed some of the names I have. And we'll talk about where the best value is on the board. If you've missed any of those prices of where things sit on Wednesday, I'll also have all my in-tournament bets that I post over here at Action Network. And then you can get my model and all the data that I've talked about over at Rotoballer. And Spencer, I understand you're receiving an award this week. Uh, we're going, yeah, I'm I'm going over to the FSGA convention, which is the Fantasy Sports and Gambling uh, Association uh, there. Uh, it's a gambling thing. It's a, a thing for Rotoballer that we are accepting for some of the work that we have done. So, uh, you know, very honored for everybody who does support my work over there and everybody who listens to this podcast here at Action Network. And, you know, it, it's funny, Roberto, I'll, I'll tell the story really quickly before I get off. So I went to the convention last year and... Uh, it was best podcast network. That might not be the exact title of what of what the award was. And I'm sitting there, and we're I'm watching all these other companies win all these awards, and I'm like, oh, well, this is disappointing. Like nothing is going to come home uh, to the Rotoballer team when I'm there. And all of a sudden, it's best podcast network, and it's Action Network. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I feel <laughs> like I may have just won. Like I have at least contributed enough to this with the shows that I do with Roberto and the shows that I've done with Jason Sobel that 
I'm at least 1% of that award. So while I wasn't the one that got to go on stage and accept it and do all of that, uh, I, I do feel like I was there in honor for you, Nick, and myself and Jason Sobel and the rest of the team. We will gladly accept. And congrats on uh, winning this week. And thanks for all of your great work. It's greatly appreciated. And of course, if you guys out there aren't already subscribed, subscribe to Rollerballer as well. Check out Spencer's model that he released every Monday. It is a it has a wealth of information in there, uh, which absolutely has made me a smarter, better. So definitely check that out. Of course, you can find all of our Action Network golf content on the app, on the web, anywhere you want it. And of course, in podcast form. I want to give a big thanks to all of our producers who make this possible. Producers Matt and Noah. And big thanks to everybody else at Action who makes this possible. So thanks for everybody for tuning in this week. And good luck this week at Riviera. And hopefully we get a Tiger Woods win. And of course, we're going to add it live if he does. But thanks, everybody. And we'll catch you next week in Mexico. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.